H.M. Long is a Canadian fantasy writer, author of the Hall of Smoke series and the Winter Sea series, who loves history, hiking, and exploring the world. She lives in Ontario, but can often be spotted snooping about European museums or wandering the Alps. Welcome, Hannah. Hi, I'm excited to be here. This is a very special episode, Hannah. I don't know if you know, but A, you're on it. So this is very special, <laughs> but um, we have something super cool we're doing this summer. And, you know, it's usually Gabby and I um, on the the day-to-day podcast, but we have Nadine joining us for this whole summer and for our summer season. We thought she'd be like a fantastic fit to join in on this legendary episode. So I feel like we should say like everyone that's in the room because this is like a little different. So I'm I'm Courtney. I'm Habiba. I'm Nadine. So anyway, (laughs) yes, so this is very special. So, um, so congratulations, Hannah, to be on this episode. (laughs) Thank you. I feel super honored. (laughs) Well, and we're honored too. We're, I mean, Nadine is the one that um, actually introduced me to your work. So I know, I know Nadine has read some of your, your stuff and it's fantastic. (laughs) Nadine, you had some super cool questions. Do you have one that you want to kick it off with? Oh, sure. So this is my first ever legendary episode. It's humbling, I suppose. It's very exciting for me. My first question, Hannah, is how do stories come to you? And would you say it's character, setting, plot, or a scene? And could you just tell us a little bit about how they evolve for you? So my stories usually show up. It'll be bits and pieces that come together um, over an extended period of time. But the, the thing that will really truly begin the story, like when I'll sit down and start writing, is usually one scene. It's often the first scene of the book. If you read Hall of Smoke, Hall of Smoke's first scene has not changed, basically. I expanded it somewhat, but I sat down and wrote it one night. It was just there. And that's where the book went from that point. So basically, basically all my books happen that way is they begin with one whole cohesive scene. And I'm very much a discovery writer, so I really won't know much more than that. And yeah, I just start going from there and they kind of unfold themselves. So how long would you say a story sort of lives in your bones before it spills out onto the page? It depends. And it actually has been changing quite a bit now that I'm on contracts because I kind of have to, I have to flip a switch sometimes. So if I'm like naturally letting it happen, it's probably going to simmer for like a year or two. Um, But if I have to like, you know, produce something for my publisher, it's just a matter of like, opening my note file to the random ideas that I have sitting there, smashing a couple together, writing a synopsis and shooting it off. (laughs) So a couple hours. (laughs) I was looking at the release dates of how your books have come out. And to my mind, I thought it was really quick, uh, which is very impressive. And it made me really curious about what it's like for you to move between worlds and how easy, you know, what what your process is like, how easy it is to juggle ideas and um, worlds with kind of expectations of deadlines and releases. How fluidly do you move between those worlds? What is it like for you to step into a new world after being steeped in this other four book series that you have as well now that you're it can releasing be really book. jarring <laughs> yeah <laughs> it can be really hard like like in the timeline of when i wrote the books i actually wrote i wrote dark water daughter after temple of no god so before barrow of winter and it was like my my soul cleanse project because <laughs> temple of no god was very difficult for me to write it was during the pandemic it was the first book i'd ever written on contract it was the first book i'd ever written off an outline um, that I hadn't discovery written. It was really difficult for me to relearn. I had to relearn how to write in a completely different way that was not natural for me. So it was very difficult. So I started this secret project on the side that allowed me to do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. <laughs> and that was Darkwater Daughter. And losing track of the original 
question. Um. <laughs> it was, you know, how easy is it for you to move fluidly between oh, yeah. worlds? Okay. So it is a bit jarring. I try to take at least a month chunk and switch between projects. So it'll be like, you know, in, in um, say this month, April, I am editing Darkwater Daughter 2. And then in May, I'm going to switch to drafting a new project. And then in June, I'll probably have edits for Pillar of Ash. So I try to keep it just one month chunks. It helps me stay sane. There, of course, there are times where I get like thrown something and then I have to try to like shut off and switch. Like a couple months ago, I was, you know, deep into... Um, deep into edits of Darkwater Daughter 2 and then Pillar of Ash edits from my publisher landed and I had to drop everything and switch overnight. And it was, it was kind of a disaster, but I'm learning how to do it. It's a bit of a process of refinement and, you know, figuring things out, but ideally I'm going to have at least a month before I have to switch focus. I love hearing that. As someone like I'm, I'm querying one book right now and I'm drafting another, but sometimes I'll just have to take a week and send out queries and then switch my brain into drafting mode. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of nice to see that published authors who we look up to also have to figure out ways to juggle it. So it's not that it gets easier necessarily. You just learn different ways that work for you. So thanks for sharing. <laughs> It's it's not easy. It's not easy to switch between stuff. And yeah, but you do find methods that help. And then I imagine you have to do laundry and stuff too. And Oh gosh, like, my house is a disaster. Mine is too. Like, Thank you for you saying that. <laughs> There's a day bed behind me and the part out of the screen is piled with everything that I shoved. Actually, that means like for me anyway, that actually makes you friendship material. Just to say. Oh good. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I actually I I have a um a, a friend of mine. We ended up being roommates because I had driven home with her in her car, and we both needed a roommate. And I was like, I said to my friend, I was like, Oh my gosh, your car is disgusting. Do you want to live together? So anyway, just saying, like we can only Perfect. we can only get closer. <laughs> I mean, it says a lot about a person what they choose to prioritize. You know. I think so too. It's so, like, yeah. I mean, so much of my brain is just occupied with story. And um, although uh -huh. I will say, um, Gabby, I love her dearly. And I think she's actually quite neat. So we all have our flaws though. Like, you know, <laughs> just have to let it go, I guess. <laughs> Fine, I'll take it. I will say that I am angled very specifically because a pile of books just fell over right now. <laughs> so, so it know. happens. <laughs> yeah, and having a lot of books is not a problem, in my opinion. Mm. Um, and Hannah, I see that you have a lot of books behind you. Yeah, I got this wall. Oh case. my goodness. Like two sides. And yeah. They're all like adult fantasy books. I'm super proud of this collection. Oh, like it's fantastic. I thrifted most of it, which is like the bonus. Yes. I love it. That's that's the background of all of your like TikToks and reels, isn't it? Yeah, I could write it off for taxes. <laughs> <laughs> This is why, no, no, no. This, this is why we have these episodes because like we, we do need to learn from professionals about how we can do things like this. So write it off. That's fantastic. How to expand your book collection and um, yeah, get tax rebates. I love so it. if you could, if you could pick anything off your shelf now to take around with you on a train, on a long trip, mm. what would you pick? Well, I would, it would need to be something I haven't read because I would have to use the time wisely. Oh, that's hard. Oh, I got an Ark of Witch King by Martha Wells. That would be Ooh. it. Yeah, that would be perfect. 
Yeah, Perfect. I can't wait. I'm so excited. I loved Murderbot. Like it was my introduction to Martha Wells. So reading like a fantasy from her is yeah, very high on my list. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And then where are you going on the train? Oh, is it, this is like totally like we're, we're riffing right now. But yeah. <laughs> okay, so there's no oceans in the way. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we we all like fantasy. There could be. I don't know. You could, you could even invent a place. Yeah. Yeah. I would go back to Wales and have a writing retreat because that's like the biggest thing that I want in the world is just to go somewhere really quiet, like you know, just some nice misty misty mountains and forest, and then have a nice writing retreat. That would be nice. Yeah. I had a question about this. I used to live in Germany. I, I saw your, when I read oh, your bio and I, uh-huh. I love that you like, you love the Alps and everything. And I used to mm. live in Germany. I used to hike all the time. And I was thinking about how can I kind of frame my questions to fit with the interest of like all of this cool stuff that you love to do and your amazing stories. And so which of your characters would you take for a hike into the Alps with you? There's a lot of characters. Uh, I, I think I'd actually just say Arun from Barrow of Winter. Because he's super fun and also very useful. I mean, he's also slightly dangerous. So it makes it, you know, it, it spices things. Up. Multifaceted. I'd, I'd right? pick a rune. He would be a fun hiking companion. Yeah, I like him. He's my favorite. <laughs> you spoke a little bit about how um, challenging your second book was to write, just because it was on an outline when you're a discovery writer, first one that you're contracted for. I'm wondering what was the most difficult project for you other than that book? And is there a book that you felt stretched you as a writer the most? Mm. It could also be that book. <laughs> I, I think it is. Cause I, it's funny. I was actually talking to my husband last night about how the different books had worked for me. Call of Smoke, I kind of wrote in a haze. Like I drafted it in uh, like six weeks. It just happened. It just was. And I don't, it wasn't really a whole lot of intention to it. It just existed. Then Temple of No God was so difficult to write. Barrow of Winter was actually more of like an exercise, it felt like. Like I was starting to get into the rhythm of writing something on contract. So that, it still had its challenges. And I actually did a lot of a lot more revision with like the first half of that book. I couldn't decide where to start it. I had three different beginnings. You can kind of still find them. They're there, like they still open chapters. And then Pillar of Ash was very comfortable to write. It was, it was kind of, it was interesting that way. I just sat down each day and there was a chapter and there was a chapter and there was a chapter. So... Yeah, I think it would still, it would really be Temple. It was the most challenging book I've ever written just on so many levels and so many different types of things. Like my personal life, writing life, you know, and then my publisher and like global circumstances with the pandemic. Yeah. So that, that was definitely challenging. The book I'm editing, which I, I, I cannot say the title of, it's really hard. So the book I'm editing right now is Dark Water Daughter 2. That one has been challenging in a lot of ways as well. But I'm still kind of in the process. I'm doing um, like my my hardcore first round of edits on a draft. It's got huge holes in it. So this one is proving to be a bit challenging in its own way. I think the first the first sequel in a series has its own kind of unique set of challenges. Yeah. So I hope that answers the question. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm wondering the Four Pillars Quartet, was that planned as four when you first wrote it? Because you said you sort of wrote like it was a haze, right? So did the four after come afterwards or did you have that from the beginning? That is, 
the answer to this question is a mark of my failure because I intended Hollow Smoke to be a short story. <laughs> I was like, I, I remember talking to my mom. I'm like, I have this idea for a book and I really like it. Like, and the, the setting is so nice. Um, I think it's just going to be a short story, like maybe a novella. Yeah. And then it just kept getting longer and longer and longer. And then I edited it and it got longer and I edited it and it got longer. And then eventually, like, I think by publication, it was like 120 or 130,000 words. Yeah. So it definitely did not end up being what I, what I wanted. But anyway, when I, when I signed with my agent and we decided to go on submission, they asked me um, if I would be, you know, if I had pitches for sequels and stuff and suggested that I put together four and that we go for a quartet. And I, I only had the only other idea I really had was for Barrow of Winter, which is like a separate protagonist, a separate kind of story. But I had some inklings of maybe something for Temple of No God, although that original idea I completely rewrote and it's a different book. So I kind of threw together a pitch for a book four that was just kind of out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we we submitted that and the first two books sold. Um, and then once we saw that Hollow Smoke had sold well, then we sold the other two to my publisher. And then we had a quartet. So, yeah. So by mark of failure, you actually mean mark of talent. That That's what I'm hearing. I, I hope so. <laughs> I still can't write short stories. I, I still try. And it's just, it, it is an art that I find very challenging. And I maybe I'll try to tackle it one day, but. How yeah. <laughs> hard is it for you to to write blurbs then like for like just to condense everything? Oh, I actually find that really easy. Really? Yeah, I love that work. It. <laughs> that's that's like the only thing that ideally if I'm discovery writing a book, the only thing I'm going to have is the back of the book synopsis. I'm just going to have like three paragraphs loosely giving me an overall sense of direction. Um, and of course, by the time the book's published, that has changed drastically and I've rewritten it and it's, it's, it's different, but that'll be the first thing that I put together for a book is the synopsis. It's about back of the book length, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter. And like, um, just like quick pitches, one line pitches, three line pitches. I love putting them together. I think it's really fun and it makes me feel like I'm making a lot more progress than I am because the book itself is going to take so long to write. It makes me depressed. So but then I have the synopsis and it makes me feel like I have a whole book to hold. <laughs> I love that. Well, would you say then that you almost like work on like a tiny little marketing package before you start? Yeah, kind of. And part of that is practicality because I want to be able to pitch it to my agent. I want to be able to pitch it to my publisher and get a feel for how wanted that project is before I give it too much of my attention. Even if there's no interest in it from another angle, from like, you know, my publisher or whatever, um, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm not going to write it. I might just do it anyway. <laughs> so yeah, I like that. I really do want to talk some about Dark Water Daughter because sure. I Flintlock fantasy stuff is like, it's so underrated to me. It's so, so it's fun. so fun. It's so cool. It Cause again, like, oh, you're like teasing me. What is this? Everyone, she's yeah, holding it up. Pages. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I'm I'm very excited to read it. So I, I did want to ask just kind of like, um, because now that we've talked a little bit about your process, like what was it like to write Darkwater Daughter? Um, it's kind of a, it's a completely different universe. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know, maybe like some of the, I, without 
I guess, making anyone angry at you? Like what was like some of your most favorite things to write? Okay. Well, Dark Water Daughter has a bit of a story behind it. I'll try to condense because Dark Water Daughter has probably had about five different forms. I started and I wrote this original story when I was 13. Um, it was a full length novel and it was a precursor to Dark Water Daughter. I pitched it to agents. It got requests. Like I actually got pretty far with At it. At 13? I, well, I was 15 by the time I, I was like pitching it. That is amazing though. It, it was ridiculous. I still have like the kindest rejection letter like oh. that I got that like it still, it was so gentle. It was so nice, but it still crushed my soul. <laughs> Anyway, what an experience um, for like a 15 year old. I'm a teacher and uh, um, I know so many children that want to be authors when they grow up. And, you know, like we talk about how they publish their books in the classroom, but then actually having the confidence to actually send your work out to someone like that takes some fortitude. So good for you. It was huge it, and it was complicated. My parents supported me a lot. Like they paid for me to go to writing conferences. My dad would like arrange to get me American stamps so that I could do like the self-addressed stamped envelopes to get my manuscripts back. And like, they really, they really helped me, but I kind of, I shelved it after, you know, the big rejection. And I rewrote the book four different times over the next 20 years <laughs> um, until Dark Water Daughter came to be. And like, I don't really know how much another person looking at those original books would see Dark Water Daughter in it. But for me, it's the same thread. Um, a lot of the characters are the same, even though they have different names, they now have different backstories. They're still the same people to me. But one of the things that really made it finally click was I allowed it to be like a full-blown adult fantasy in a completely different world. And I like one of the concepts, this isn't spoilery, um, but one of the concepts that I particularly love in Dark Water Daughter is the gistings. They are um, like these spectral creatures who they, they grow in trees in forests on these gist wolves. Um, and then those trees are harvested and carved into the figureheads of ships. So then these ships are possessed by this, this tree spirit and it kind of protects the ship. It, it guards the ship against other creatures from, you know, other realms and they have personalities. They can manifest, they can't speak, but they manifest in all these different forms. So like your ship's figurehead, the gisting that lives inside it is often going to manifest in the same shape as the figurehead. So you've kind of caught, got this mirror and it's really cool. I like it. No, that is, that is, <laughs> that is hell. I, I love it. I think it's so fun. Like it, it let lots of room for creativity. So. Well, I mean, and I, what I really can't believe right now is that you like held up that book to us and then you said all of that and then we don't have it. What is this? <laughs> I mean, it's coming soon. It's only three months now. Okay. Yeah, tell basically. us the date. Tell us the date. July 11th. All right. July 11th. I'm July going 11th. to the bookstore. July 11th. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh my I can't wait. Like, I hate to wish my life away, but if it was July 12th, I'd be super happy right now. <laughs> Are yeah. you um, going on a tour? Do you do signings near you? I, I don't tend to do stuff like that very much. Um, I kind of like, I just protect my mental health and I get pretty overwhelmed around book releases. So I kind of try to keep actual things on the release day to a minimum so that I can just manage all the social media stuff with like peace of mind. And then, you know, eat some cake and go to sleep. So 
but I do uh, after release when I know the books are actually on the shelves. I'll go to any like uh, bookstores that are in my area and I'll sign stock. But that's kind of that's kind of about it at this point. Yeah, doing doing little local tours can be a little challenging just with with getting around and finding places to stay and things like that. So yeah. I love that you brought up the mental health aspect of writing. I wish more people talked about it, but I also know that sometimes not talking about it is a boundary that you need to have as well. So I'm wondering what you find feeds your creative soul, whether that is story related. We see your wall of books. (laughs) I don't know if it's reading or if there's shows or maybe not story related. Um, I love seeing your pup on social. So maybe you can just share with us what you find helps you. Yeah, to, to kind of refresh, like refill my creative well, it just helped me to calm down. Um, I read a lot. It's usually like I know I have a lot of physical books on my shelf, but I'm usually reading uh, via audiobook. It's my primary, uh, primarily way, way that I consume books. Um, and too. I do, I, yeah, they're, they're wonderful. Like I listen to them usually while I'm walking my dog. Um, we live out in the bush and I go hiking and we just wander through the forest while I listen to today. I was listening to Tress of the Emerald Sea, uh, you know, as we're just walking through the forest. And that I find is really, really good. I often, you know, just kind of sit quietly by the water. Um, I find that is really helpful. I mean, traveling obviously is very inspiring. It's also super exhausting. But uh, I get a lot of my, you know, creative input from uh, traveling and my husband is German. So we go over there quite a bit. And then we travel around. When I when we lived over there, we did a lot of traveling. And that really just went right into hollow smoke. <laughs> like we just like funnel. <laughs> yeah, so I read a lot, I spend a lot of time outdoors and in nature. And I am I am probably a chronic binge watcher. So I'll just take days where I just will watch a series. And I find it immensely helpful um, to just not only disconnect my brain from my life and my work, just immerse myself, enjoy a story. uh, But it also really helps generate new ideas and kind of flick the switch in my brain that I need it to. I am pro binge watching. Um, What have you recently watched? I'm currently watching Lock and Key. I thought it would be like a super kid show and like yeah, not quite. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I've, I've been really enjoying that and like how this kind of seemingly childish idea can actually really transfer and, you know, there's the possibilities of it and the really light magical quality with the, the darkness and some more adult themes and stuff. I love it too. And it's also a comic. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that in like the credits. So <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> not know that was a comic. I love that series. It's so I think good. it's really clever. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. I, I I put off watching it for way too long and now I'm enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> well, now you're reaping the reward. Yeah, now I get to binge watch all three seasons. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I actually, I stood up real quick because you said uh, Tress of the Emerald Sea. Oh, oh I got I like, I did the Kickstarter. Yeah, I wish I'd done that, but I have no money for it. <laughs> I put it on my credit card. <laughs> I could have written it off for taxes. Look, you you need to learn your own lessons here, Hannah. I should just put a sign behind my computer. You can write it off for taxes. Actually, I, I if we were to dole out any homework assignments, that would be yours. Like, okay. <laughs> you should. Noted. Yes. But I will say, um, and just for anyone listening, Tress of the Emerald Sea, it's by Brandon Sanderson. He had a wildly successful Kickstarter. I, like... Mm-hmm. 
Gabby and I, I, maybe you too, Nadine, but I was just stalking that page and watching the numbers go up. It was something like, like I, I couldn't, I couldn't look away. I just couldn't. <laughs> so we binge watched it. We did. <laughs> we binge watched to make money. Um, but yeah, no, it was. Um, this was this was very interesting to me because obviously Brandon Sanderson is like a very big. Um, we'll say pillar in the uh, fantasy world. And um, it was just incredible to me to see what he could do really without a publisher, you know, just on Kickstarter with people that love what he does. And the art in this book is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I, I got to see one of those copies one day. I um I will send you some pictures on Instagram of some some pretty love that. some pretty illustrations. You would like it because there's some ships and stuff in here. So yeah, I'm at like I'm at like seventy two percent. I think mm. of my audiobook. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Speaking of art, Tana, I love the images that you shared of your characters on your Instagram. They're so beautiful, and they have such a kind of historical feel to it. Um, and I know that you said you are also a big history buff. I'm curious if you have like a specific era that you draw from or something that sort of like warms to your heart that you always gravitate to for story. I, I love this question. It gets me really excited. So I, I love I love so many, so many sections of history. And I'm just kind of overwhelmed with all the books I want to write and all the different kind of, you know, fa- obviously fantasy inspired, like settings-ish. Um, but I really, really love the Darkwater Daughter period. It's like, it's it's Baroque. I loosely based it, like I tried to, I tried to, you know, put a pin in a, a year, like around like 1740, like just after the golden age of piracy, like with the tech level and with the, I love fashion history as well, which is kind of like a side thing. So I really wanted like the clothing and stuff from that period, um, along with the tech technology level and things like that. I really love that period. And then of course, I like, you know, the Viking stuff with all of smoke. And I'd love to write like a weird Western at some point. I'd love to lo- write like a, like a Bronze Age kind of thing. I'd love to write like a Stone Age type of thing. But I really, I, I think... Probably the thing I'm most attracted to is any kind of flintlock period. That's where I will kind of naturally gravitate. If my book doesn't have a default, if if the story idea doesn't come with a default kind of feel, it will probably gravitate into flintlock eventually. So um, for people that don't know what flintlock fantasy is, do you care to give us a few choice words about it? Um, flintlock fantasy is basically, you know, you take you, your fantasy and add gunpowder. Um, so you've got like the a flintlock pistol. I wish I, oh, I, I have one somewhere that would have been fun to show. So it's a technology level, you know, period wise, it's going to be like, you know, oh, someone's going to get mad at me if I try to define this too much and fantasy plus gunpowder. <laughs> let's leave it at that. <laughs> there's flintlock fantasy and there's also like other like sub genres of yeah. fantasy. I'm trying to think of the name of like the one that's like flintlock adjacent. Well, I think flintlock and gunpowder are kind of like the same. Yeah. And then there's a uh, gas lamp often mm-hmm. kind of overflows into that. I also write gas lamp. And then I think there's like, I, I really love to actually see a list um, and find where my projects kind of go in. Cause I think there's also like, like deco punk is coming now. What? And like, wait, yeah. Like kind of like art deco kind of, you know, early, early 20th century sort of thing. And but it's called deco punk. Um, I heard That's something like amazing. that. I, I I don't know. I'm I'm just like pulling these things out of the void from like random tweets, right? So, 
<laughs> That's where the random this, tweets go. <laughs> this is not like material. Like, um, anyway, there, there's just so many little subgenres now. And I love it. I love that like fantasy is really breaking out of that like medieval European mold and it's just shattering and going every direction. I think it's an absolutely beautiful thing. Um, there's so many different uh, settings and uh, time periods and tech levels and everything. I think it's wonderful. It's so interesting that you bring the tech level because whenever I'm writing, it's always like the plumbing that I have to think about. Like, how are they using the bathrooms? Do they have Mm -hmm. like running water? Like, how am I going to figure this out? But bring it to like gunpowder and stuff. That's another level of tech that it's just interesting to think about when I haven't had to come across it myself yet. Yeah, like the tech level that you pin down really changes the dynamics of the story and how magic is going to fit into that and the, the needs of the people that you know, magic might solve or, you know, the different challenges that they're going to come across and different things that they have access to. And it's a really, really interesting part of world building. I really enjoy. I think it's interesting too, because I feel like as someone who, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and date this podcast because it's like, it's 2023 right now, (laughs) but you know, like it's 2023 and we are like I am in Virginia and none of you guys are, you know? And so, I mean, it's a level of technology that is magic. And so I think it's very interesting because, you know, when you start putting magic and technology together, it it just creates these very interesting dynamics, I think. This whole topic though, just makes me so excited when I think about how we've evolved throughout history and how much of that just feeds into the dynamic of story because it it just cracks open so many different avenues that you can follow. And like for me as well, I I don't plot heavily. And so sometimes I'll just like pull on something that's interesting to me that I've read in a culture or a historical fact or something, and it'll just build into something else. And I'll have to research and be funneling into a topic and it will inform something about my world that I would never have imagined I could do just because I never had that information before. And now just by a little spark of something that I read in a news story or come across on a tweet or whatever, it unlocks so much. Yeah, it's it's like just deciding what time period, kind of equivalent time period your book's going to be in is, is a world building tool. Mm-hmm. And the questions just start to unfold and unravel and yeah. Uh, that reminds me of Carla Hawk's book, uh, Fight Right, and how to write fight scenes. And she always says, like, you need to base it on a martial art form and pick one. So, like, if pick one and then study it, and then that's how you can make your fight scenes. So it's so pick a pick a martial art form, whether it's judo or karate or whatever it is, and that's what your moves are going to be based on. Is is going to be totally different than another art form. So similar in that you choose a time period that's going to affect your world building in a different way if it was like 100 years earlier or later or whatever you pick. Yeah, I think that's that's really cool. And the, the whole like writing fight scenes and stuff um, is a whole other rabbit trail I could go down. But I'll stop. I assume that there are some fight scenes on these incredible ships. Yeah, like uh okay so dark water daughter obviously <clears throat> the combination of magic and gunpowder so you've got we've got a little bit of like you know like saber cutlass sort of stuff going on we've got you know muskets and pistols yeah and then of course there's the magic and the different ways that the magic uh can be used you know offensively defensively and things like that which kind of start to bridge into um spoilers 
Yeah. <laughs> but the main, like the main character in Darkwater Daughter is a storm singer. So she is like a weather witch um, and she, her magic is controlled via song. So when you've got these major like naval engagements on the open sea, like, and obviously it's the winter sea. Um, so you've got her controlling the wind through song, which is this background to everything that's going on with the cannons and the waves and all that stuff. You've got this like haunting music that's kind of infusing all of it. It sounds very cinematic because I, I always feel like when, we, really when we think like about movies, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, when we think about movies, we always think about the visual, right? But there's an element to the actual sound, which I think is so powerful that I never realized until because um, my husband, he, he refuses to watch anything scary and I don't want to watch stuff scary alone. Oh. <laughs> so he'll, like he'll, he'll watch it with me, but then he'll block his ears, right? And... It's just really funny to me because then I started to realize that the story doesn't carry the same feel when you when you don't hear some of those those sounds and some of the music that's kind of accompanying what you see. And when we write and we read story, we invent those for ourselves, right? But it creates so much atmosphere and so much rhythm that we we can put together through like the way that we say the words and how the story structure comes together, but also through exactly the way that you're talking about the magic and how that sort of forms this haunting atmosphere to the story. I, I really, I really like thinking about it that way. It's like a movie on mute and like, yeah, I really like that. I kind of just like clicked something in my brain. Thank you. <laughs> so um, how many times have you watched uh, Pirates of the Caribbean? So I watched it a lot when I was a teenager. Like, I, I don't know, I probably watched it like, I don't know, 12, 15 times sort of thing. I fell off on, I think it was like the third movie. I don't know. I They did something plot wise and I was just really ticked off and I'm like, I'm never watching these again. Well, you were already <laughs> querying then, right? I, I was. <laughs> I was like, I was already writing pirate books and querying um, and stuff like that. So I had opinions. Um, yeah, but I, I watched it quite a bit and then... You know, it wasn't till like it wasn't till like after Dark Water Daughter was finished and I started reflecting on it, like looking for looking for places in my life where I pulled elements. Right. And then I was like looking at like the main male character who's a disgraced naval officer. Um, he's trying to redeem himself. And I was like, Norrington, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> what have I done? Tis you. <laughs> There's a, there's just, you know, you see these little threads from yeah. like, you know, the teenage, teenage years. And yeah, so I watched it quite a bit and it definitely had an, uh, an influence. I also, Master and Commander was my favorite movie as, as a teenager. So like enjoyed Pirates of the Caribbean, but Master and Commander was the one I really liked, which is, you know, as teenage girls are. And yeah. Hannah, I was wondering if I could ask you about your world building because I know I d I'm just watching your face light up whenever you start talking about the magic or the trees or it feels magical right when you when you have this thing that you've made and I'm wondering if you can talk about I've talked to some people who start big and then go small in their world building and other people that start zoomed in and then go out so I'm wondering how you have found it with your books with the world building aspects of your writing. So with my world building, um, I tend to make it very situational. I don't world build ahead of time. Um, I used to do that a little bit. And then I just found that I was putting in far too much unnecessary information into the story. The world building was dictating the story, but in a really stilted way that I didn't like. It just wasn't working for me. So especially Hall of Smoke was one of the first books that I really just went, okay, I'm not going to do anything um, and just leave it and let it be and let it breathe. So I kind of call it like situational world building. So when a character walks 
into the room, when Hessa crosses the wall um, into the Arpa Empire, what does she see? What does she feel? A person walks in the room. What are they dressed like? What are they, what's their accent like? Why is their accent like that? Because this is how the language is structured and how does their worldview impact their word choices and, you know, the, the gods that they worship, how does that impact their daily life and their interactions with their human beings? And it just kind of, you know, rolls out from there. Um, but yeah, I'll just let it appear and develop things as I need them in the book, which kind of... <laughs> Like I have regrets about doing that in some ways because I don't track my world building as well as I should. Um, and I heavily rely on beta readers who have been with me from the beginning to point out stuff in the story. Like Hannah, you said in book one that this can't happen in this world and yet you're doing it right now because I didn't like write this down. I didn't make myself a little dictionary. So I do have flaws in my process that are kind of huge. Um, but I find it really helps me be very immersed in the world as I'm working on it because I'm experiencing the world directly through my main character, which is also part of the reason I'm always working in first person point of view. I found it, I find it challenging to work in third person um, because I'm not as as intimately in the character's mind. My ideal with world building is I'm walking with that character down that city street and then working out from where their eyes are building all the different aspects and, you know, what, what does the market look like? What's being sold? What are the resources? Just letting that kind of pile on itself and just happen. I love that. I, um, I, I do a similar thing mostly because initially I was always an overwriter. And so <laughs> I realized that if I just cut out all of those things that I don't need to talk about until I go in and uh, do a revision, then it's really helpful. But um, one of the things that you said about just seeing the world through the character's eyes, I did this masterclass, which was not about writing, but it was about acting. And it was because I'd heard a writer somewhere, and I, I don't remember who it was now, just talk about how you have to really inhabit your character in a way that feels so real that as you go, as they go through the world, you go through the world. And I thought, okay, well, then I have to be the character. So how do I be this character? And just the way you're talking about it feels exactly like what I was listening to and learning from this masterclass is like really just becoming this person. And then everything that you see as it falls out of your fingertips is literally like you behind their eyes and um, how that unfolds. So I, I write in first person too for exactly that reason. And as soon as I switch to third, I'm like, it's not, I feel like I'm outside and it, it's, it's very jarring for me to try to then get back into the, their brains and, and see the world in, in the same way. Yeah, that, that does sound like exactly the same kind of thing. It just, it brings me a lot of joy to just experience my book that way. Um, and from that perspective, and I've actually, I've actually done books where I tried to write in third person could not do it, wrote the book in first person, and then find replaced it into third person. Into, yeah, into third person. <laughs> because it just would not work. My brain couldn't do it. And it was I have so done that, much so. work. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. All of it, and it never got published anyway. So what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a good, it's a good exercise, I think, because um, I, I did that for the very first thing I ever wrote. And what it taught me was that there's so much more to the layering and emotions that I can't tap into when I'm not identifying with the character as though I am them. And so that level of interiority was missing, but I couldn't identify. I knew there was something missing. I couldn't identify what that was until I switched and wrote it differently and then went back and read how it sounded by switching between. 
Anyway, I, I will just go on about craft forever. So um, we are at 10-2. <laughs> so I do want to keep the, the last 10 minutes for our fun questions. Wait, um, wait. But I, wait. yes, I, I, I know you. I know what you're going to say. Okay, then, all right, you better do it. <laughs> Connie's going to say, ask this question, which I, <laughs> is that what you're going to say? Yeah. Should I be I, afraid? <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not. No, it's you're just, just really, I, you're just really meeting us, Hannah. That's all. <laughs> you probably should be afraid, actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, it's just, we were just talking through questions earlier. And one of the ones that I had was um, one that Connie was like, you have to ask this. It's so fun. And, and it was just literally, you know, which of your characters would you ask to dog sit for you? To dog sit would be Hessa. She's very good at taking care of dogs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry we scared you. Connie's scared. You scared her. Well, you know, I, you, know, you have these nightmares as an author of things you might get asked in interviews. <laughs> like, what's coming here? <laughs> Well, but now you've had this experience where you got asked which of your characters would you let, you know, take care of your dog. So hopefully yeah. that'll replace some of those fears. But <laughs> I just really wanted to make sure we asked that question. It was really important. To I me. mean, it's, it is an important question. It's kind of yeah. critical. It is. It is. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think it's a, it says a lot about the the character, the author, and the and the pet. So yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, Wolfgang is pretty feral. I gotta say, so. that's your dog. <laughs> yes, Wolfgang is my dog. It's a fantastic yeah. name for a dog. Well, my husband wanted a German name, and I wanted an animal name. Like I wanted to call him like Moose or something. So we settled on Wolfgang, like a German old man name that oh, happens nice. to have wolf in it. <laughs> <Okay>. So. <laughs> We've learned that you and your partner compromise, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, you got to you got to find compromise. <laughs> Better than Heinrich or something. Although it is still a great dog's name. <laughs> All right, we wanted to ask you. We, we have our, our two last questions, and one of them is about your story beast. So you said, um, I'd say one of Ing's owls from Hall of Smoke. They're owls, but not owls, made from magic and the dying breath of a god. They watch, they follow, they're messengers, but their messages come in the form of visions and voices, and they can join the minds of characters over great distances. I feel like this is how my stories come to me, in bits and pieces and visions and voices, watching and lingering, and so much more than they first appear to be. That is very beautiful. And I think I'm like, thank you, past self. I forgot what I said. <laughs> I got goosebumps with that one. It for me just really encapsulated the whole not only the story process but what it feels like to be a storyteller and how stories kind of I always think about stories kind of moving around me and then like I don't know some very weird like smoke um like kind of moves through me in a way um and whatever kind of sticks and leaves a mark is what what gets developed into something else and I just feel like like you captured a very beautiful way of talking about your story beast. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about it? I think pretty much everything's already there. Yeah, I, I, I feel like that is the way my stories kind of come to me. They just, you know, they come through little little images and snippets of dialogue and they just kind of cobble together and become something whole. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, I don't know, like I think as writers, we often really romanticize the writing process. And on one hand, I kind of go like, ah, that's kind of yucky. Like we need to be practical about it. We need to just sit and do it, not not wait for inspiration and everything. But at the same time, writing is truly magical. You are creating 
a world, you're creating things, you're creating people, you're creating experiences for a reader out of literally nothing. Like that is the definition of magic. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just, you are creating something impossible and then letting other people experience it, like putting it down on a page and transmitting it in a way that someone on the other side of the world can feel the same things that you felt. I love that. It's also why I love reading and I love story and all the writing stuff too. So we do have one more question. And mm-hmm. um, Nadine, I know you know what it is. Hannah, uh, what's your favorite snack? Oh, oh, oh no. I could be super boring, guys. Like it's popcorn, probably. That's okay. <laughs> super it's a good boring. Snack. You know, it's like, but I mean, I guess I associate it with all like the wonderful childhood things like going to the movie theater and like, you know, first dates and like exciting things like... <laughs> I don't know. Well, just to say, we don't judge people's snacks. So like your your snack could be like literally anything. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think it's probably. That was the first thing that popped into my head. So that's what I'm going to run with. Go with intuition. I like it. Do you have a, a favorite flavor? My local movie theaters, they have like a bar with like shakers of flavors that you add on your own. So that I like. And I'd always do dill pickle which I know is kind of, I've, I've gathered is more of a, just a Canadian thing, I guess. Dill pickle seasoning. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like we have dill pickle chips. <laughs> we have dill pickle chips in, yeah. in the U.S. Fried dill pickle chips are the best. I literally have them right here. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, my husband had never tasted dill pickle before. I, I introduced him to the wonderful world of North American chip flavors. So <laughs> you've really helped him in your marriage then. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much more to the world than like paprika chips that the Germans are obsessed with. <laughs> well, so this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. This is really fun. <laughs> I know. I'm glad we didn't ask anything too scary and the dog question wasn't as scary as you thought it was going to be. Yeah, we thought that really set it up too much. Scary. I'm so sorry, <laughs> Anna. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm never going to get over that. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, but really, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us all about story. And I am so excited to read Dark Water Daughter. I am like, I am here for it. Yes. Just brag again. She's holding it up. Out into the world. July 11th. Beautiful. <laughs> yes. And I and I think too, just it's been such a long journey for this story it sounds like it it sounds like it's even um it's extra special that it's coming out you know this is um I don't know if this was the first one you had ever written like even in like a long long time ago when you were 13 and then querying at 15 but um but it just seems like I mean that is amazing I had chills when you were talking about it so yeah it, it wasn't the very very first but it was the first one that really just sunk in that I couldn't let it go so yeah that it's I'm probably a little too attached to this book, <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm so, so excited to see it finally go out in the world. It was so much fun to write, so much fun to work with, and I can't wait for people to be able to read it, you know, and I hope they enjoy it as much as I do. And it's okay if they don't, but you know, it'll be out and on bookshelves and I think that's pretty awesome. Yes. It'll be on my bookshelf soon on July 11th. I'm very excited. So... <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much. Um, and um, should we do our like our be brave thing? Sure. Be brave. Stay beastly. And order a dark water daughter. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs>